John, that uh, he was walking in the midst of the churches. And so if this world wants to know who Jesus is and hear the message that Jesus has for the world, they'll have to get it through the church because he is, the church is his body, it's his people, and it's his way of ministry in the earth today. Well, let's open our scripture, our copy of God's word to the gospel according to Mark in chapter number 12, and uh, we will hopefully finish chapter number 12 this evening. And we're uh, reading uh, from verse 38 down through verse 44, and then the uh, first two verses of chapter 13, because this all goes together. Uh, please uh, pray with me. I need the help, the anointing of the Lord. Oh, our Lord, we thank you for just giving us this wonderful privilege to come to church. We thank you that uh, we are not engaged in some empty ritual, but we have come to worship you in your very presence through the life-giving power of your Holy Spirit and in accordance with your precious word. We thank you that you've given us your word tonight. And may we be taught, as we have been already this morning in the teaching hour and in the worship hour, how you have opened our hearts and spoken to us already today. Please do it again, Lord. Open our understanding and increase our knowledge and allow us not only to know you more as we sing, uh, and, uh, uh, but to just love you more and to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, let's read beginning in verse number 38. And in his teaching, he said, Beware. In his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people. Putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And she called, and he, and he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, 
this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, uh, just to make sure that we really get the context here, and it's, it's very important that we do because uh, Jesus is uh, dealing with the same thing that he's been dealing with since chapter number 11. And uh, he ends this in chapter number 13 because... Well, I won't say he ends it, but he continues it in chapter number 13 because he is pronouncing judgment. And he came out of the temple, verse thir chapter 13, verse 1. He came out of the temple. One of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, if you'll remember in chapter number 11, we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he came in. Uh, scripturally according to the prophecies that were made concerning his, the Messiah's arrival in Jerusalem. He came in on a donkey and he came in as the Messiah. Now, many of our brothers, who, I mean, they're sincere brothers, uh, who uh, hold to a uh, pre-millennial uh, dispensational type eschatology would say that what Jesus was doing at this time was offering himself to be the king of Israel and that uh, he would have uh, he, he would have established his kingdom but Israel rejected him and so uh this uh, millennial process is uh, going to play out. But I have to disagree with that. There was a time when I uh, fully believed that kind of thing. But I have to disagree with that because I don't believe Jesus came to offer Israel the kingdom right then. He came as the king. He came as the Messiah and he is the king. They did not recognize him as a whole. Many of them did. But as a whole, he was rejected by the nation. But uh, folks, that didn't mean that he's not a king. And that his kingdom has not been established. His kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. He rules and reigns on a spiritual throne in the hearts, in the lives of all those 
who believe in him and who trust him. And so when he said the kingdom of God is at hand, he wasn't saying that uh, it's about to come. What he was saying is you can come in. <laughs> I'll open the door for you. You can come in. And so the uh, triumphal, or we call it the triumphal entry in chapter number 11 was Jesus coming as the king, presenting himself as the Messiah. And he goes into the temple, and he was not surprised, I don't think, by what he saw there. He knew what to expect, but he goes into the temple and looks around and just comes back out and goes to the Mount of Olives. On the following day, when he came back, he sees a fig tree that looks like it should have been bearing figs. It was all leafy, but it was a hypocritical fig tree, wasn't it? It appeared to be fruitful, but it wasn't. And he went to it and saw no figs on it, and he cursed it. And it's a picture of what was happening right then. Israel, this, this old covenant is about to be put away and this old system of the law and the temple and sacrifices and a Levitical priesthood that is all going to wither away and be no more. And so he uh, curses the fig tree, then he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. He, he overturns the money changers. He uh, uh, tables. He uh, uh, drives out the livestock. He upsets all the commerce that was going on there. And uh, as they come the next day, they go back to Bethany. They come back the next day. And they notice that the fig tree truly is withered. And uh, his authority then is challenged, as we read about in uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, reading, <laughs> the uh, scripture reading just a few moments ago. But he, uh, uh, his authority was questioned, and he answered them with a question, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of men? And you remember what we learned about that. Then he begins in verse 12 or chapter 12 to teach this parable. He gives them a parable that they should have been familiar with. It came, comes right out of the book of Isaiah. It uh, is a parable that uh, just basically tells them that they're in trouble. It tells them that God has established this vineyard, this uh, uh, vineyard to uh, because He wanted the fruit of it, and He has sent prophets, He's sent messengers, He's sent servants to them to receive the fruit of that vineyard, which includes all of this uh, uh, area, these people, and the uh, uh, old covenant system of worship, it was, it had just become nothing but pure ritual, and uh, they, there was no fruit, there was no fruit for him 
to gain from it. And those who came to them were beaten and some of them killed. And then he said he, the, uh, uh, the owner sent his only son. And he said, they'll, they'll respect my son. But they killed the son. They said, this is the heir. Let us kill him and seize on his inheritance. They killed the son. That's a picture. That's a, a prophecy of what was about to happen. Just two or three days later, Jesus was going to be murdered by them. They were going to crucify him. And he told them that he was the stone that the builders rejected. But it's going to become the head of the corner. Right? Going to become the chief cornerstone mm -hmm. through resurrection. They're going to put him to death. They may reject him. They may put him to death. But that won't be the end of him. They try to entrap him. They ask the question about paying taxes uh, and they ask the question, the Sadducees ask the question about the resurrection. Then uh, a scribe asks him a question about which is the most important, which is the, most, the foremost commandment. And he said, he gave him two. He said, uh, the most important one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like to it, the uh, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And, uh, <clears throat> and so then Jesus asked them a question. And what he's doing by that question, and this was our, our last study, what he's doing by this question is he is uh, uh, nailing, he's putting the nail in the coffin here and saying, listen, I am, I am David's Lord. I am that Messiah that was from the beginning and has taken on flesh and come as a descendant of David and I am that Messiah. Well, that brings us to our study tonight, to our passage tonight. And we see that Jesus is warning his people, his followers. And he said, and in his teaching, he said, beware. Of the scribes. Beware. Now the scribes. Do you know who they were? They were the lawyers. I think we talked about this last time. Didn't we? These were the people. Who not only were the copiers. Of uh, the law. For preservation. But they were the experts. In the law. They were the uh, people who. Uh, understood the law, and uh, they they were not an organized sect so much, but uh, they had kind of evolved into that over the years, and they had come to a place where they didn't only uh, copy the law and interpret the law, but they also wrote out 
these uh, uh, interpretations that added to the law. And they were religious leaders. Jesus, uh, many times in the New Testament, Jesus uh, is accosted by both scribes and Pharisees. But uh, there is, you know, a scribe was an honored place, an honored occupation, an honorable occupation. At least it should have been. The first uh, scribe, I think, uh, and maybe I, I may be wrong about that, but I know that uh, probably the most exemplary scribe that we read about in the Old Testament is a man by the name of Ezra. And you remember Ezra was a man who uh, the Bible said that uh, in Ezra chapter 7 that the good hand of God was upon him because he had set himself to know the law of God and to teach it. To, uh, to do it and to teach it. I, I almost left out that do it because that's an important thing. He set himself Man, we need to see that over and over, don't we? Let's just read it from the, the passage here. And it would be a good thing if you'd look it up uh, in your Bible while we're at it. Ezra chapter 7. Let me start reading in verse, in verse number 8. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the month, which was, uh, which was the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Now, Ezra was an exemplary scribe. He was the kind of scribe that, uh, uh, that all these scribes should have been. And verse number... Oh, that was verse number 10. In uh, Nehemiah, we find that Ezra... In chapter number 8, and Ezra opened the book of the law, verse 5, opened the book in the sight of all the people, and this is the law that he's reading, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the God, great God, and all people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua, Bani, uh, Sarabiah, uh, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, uh, I say, I'm not going to read all those names. Just a bunch of Jews. A bunch of Jewish guys. The Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly 
and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, that's an honorable thing to do, isn't it? That is what a scribe should have been. But when Jesus came on the scene, these scribes were not like Ezra at all. These scribes had uh, become swollen with pride and lust and thirst for power and greed for cash. They wanted it all and they wanted to be honored. And as I said before, these are the kind of people that were more interested in appearing righteous than in being righteous. They wanted you to think they were righteous, but they cared nothing about being righteous. And, oh, listen, don't, don't just point at them. I have to say, after the lesson we had yesterday on uh, pride, I have to look at myself and, and ask myself this question. Am I more interested in the appearance of being a good man than I am in actually being the kind of man that God wants me to be? He said, beware of these guys. Now, these are the religious leaders. These are the guys that are supposed to be telling us what the law says and what the law means and how the law applies to our lives. That's what these guys are supposed to be doing. And so uh, for a theocracy like Israel was, this was... I mean, these were some exalted guys, and these were the guys that you would think that you would run to if you had a problem. It's a sad thing when Jesus said, you better, you better watch out for those guys. Those are the guys you better watch out. He didn't say, watch out for thieves and robbers. He didn't say, watch out for the Roman government. He said, watch out for the scribes. Be careful with these scribes. <laughs> Keep an eye on them. Keep both eyes on them. And here's why. Because they like to walk around in long robes. Now, you know, I don't know what their robes looked like, but I do know that uh, in that society it was customary to wear uh, something like a robe, but it needed to be something that uh, a, an average working man would be able to reach down and grab the back hem and pull it up and, and tie it off to be able to work and run. <laughs> And fight if necessary. But these guys wanted the kind of robes that set them apart. That caused everybody to look at them and notice. This guy's not expecting to do any work. He's not going to be running. He's not going to be fighting. 
this guy is separate from all that. He's above that. And so he, they like to walk around in long robes that distinguish them, that look different and better, that set them apart from everyone else. And they like greetings in the marketplaces. What kind of greetings? Well, I think Matthew gives us a, a little bit uh, more detail here. Uh, listen to what Jesus, how Matthew quotes Jesus on this. He said, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. Ooh. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See? They're not going to do anything. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That's the reason for those long robes, right? They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries. Remember what we said about phylacteries? That, that little leather box that they wore around their head on their forehead that would uh, that had a, a a scripture in it well they did they wanted to make sure that you didn't miss their little one they they broadened it they made a big one you know so they're walking around with a huge phylactery on their forehead and and uh, and listen he said they they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. So the fringes of the shawl they, uh, that they wore, they made them long. Again, this is something that would get in the way if you were working, but they, they wanted you to know my work doesn't in, in, involve physical labor. My work is in the holy things. Make their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts. And the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces. Now here it is. And being called rabbi by others. Rabbi means teacher. Rabbi means uh, uh, it gives them a, a, a name of honor. It's like calling them father. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes further and says, For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Jesus goes on to say that the greatest among you will be your servant. These guys wanted the prestige and the honor of being seen out in the marketplace, recognized by their garb, by their, their 
clothing, that they were something special, that they were involved in the work of the Lord, that they were heavily involved in the work of the Lord, had no time for physical labors. And they loved it when people said, Father, Father. They love, they like those long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces. We're back at Mark chapter 13, chapter 12, excuse me. And have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. Now I've read that uh, the best seats that we're talking about in the synagogues was the seat of the teachers the leaders, and, uh, and that would be sitting on an elevated platform facing the congregation. Not with their backs to the congregation looking at the teacher, but with their backs to the teacher looking at the congregation. It was a place of honor, and that's the place they wanted. And they wanted the place of honor at feast. If they went to a wedding or a party, they wanted the best seats in the house. Jesus talks about that in Luke chapter 14. <coughs> he said, uh, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with, with shame to take the lowest place. He said, on the other hand, just go in and sit down in the lowest place. And then let them invite you to a better place. But can you, can you just imagine this? That, uh, that what Jesus was seeing here was people like musical chairs. Like trying to elbow in and get the best seats. Not knowing whether it was reserved for them or not. And uh, it was all just, just for pride. And he says, he says they, they like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses. This is how low these guys have come. They devour widows' houses. They are heartless in their greed. They want it all. And they are the ones who maybe if a widow whose husband had died and she was destitute would no doubt have to go to one of them to find out what she could do, what could be done for her, what the law uh, said in regard to her situation 
And in seeking their advice, no doubt there would be times when they would say, you know, you don't have any money now. And I understand that. And as long as you're living, you can live in your house, but you can sign that property over to me. And when you die, it'll be mine. I'm just, that's just, you know, I'm not, I don't have a scripture to back that particular scenario up, but, but I mean, these are, how do they devour widows' houses? How do they, and, and the word houses here doesn't just mean a dwelling place. It just, it means they're living. It means what they have left <laughs> when they have no other, uh, help they have no husband maybe their children are gone or dead and they are all alone and all they have left is a little bit of property or a, a little bit of money and these guys figure a way to talk them out of what little bit they have now that's what's going on here, and this is what Jesus is criticizing. This is what he is exposing them for. They are greedy people who care nothing about the poor and will use their position and will use the word of God to steal from poor people who have nothing. Can we think of any sort of uh, examples of that today? You know, Jesus warned us about these guys way back then, and we, you know, it seems like the world's still falling for them, doesn't it? And so that brings us now, we come to that next section here where Jesus changes the scene and there's a contrast. We see a contrast between these greedy guys that want to uh, uh, dress in a way that exalts themselves, that sets them apart from others, that draws the attention of others. They want to have those places of honor they want to have the names of honor they want all these things for themselves and jesus said in uh matthew chapter 6 that when they went to the uh, to give alms they sound a trumpet <laughs> before they give so that everybody can know what they're giving and they made this big production here of putting large sums into the offering. But Jesus turns this thing around and shows a contrast of this poor widow who is absolutely penniless almost. She is hopeless. She has nothing to live on. 
She has uh, no doubt tried everything, and now she is down to the last two mites. And she goes to the temple and puts those two little coins into the offering. And most people that I have read say that she is an example, a great example of how we should give. And they turn this whole thing into a sermon on giving. How we should just give it all to Jesus. But let me, let's play what if for just a few minutes. Okay? What if? That's not what Jesus is saying at all. What if this woman is not being put forth as an example of what we should do? But what if? She's being put forth as an example of the abuse of those religious leaders. What if she has been trying to uh, figure out how she's going to make it? She's just about to the very last might that she has. And how is she going to make it for the rest of the week, let alone to live any more time on earth and she hears this preaching that if you want God's blessing on your life you need to trust in the miracle of seed faith you need to give whatever you've got to God just give it to him because if you'll give it to him he'll give it back to you multiplied What if that's what's going on here? What if it's not a commendation of anyone? What if it, if this woman is a victim? Well, Brother Gary, how in the world, how in the world could she be that Blind? How could she get to the point where she would be willing to give the very last she had? And and listen, you know you know that that was it, right? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said these guys gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had, and then he said all that she had to live on. What would cause her? How could she be so blind as to do that? Well, maybe it's because of that smoke that comes up out of the pit. Maybe it's that smoke that comes up out of the pit and those, those uh, 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 locusts or whatever they are that are so full of venom and so full of pain and hurt that she is 
deceived and caused to give. Now, listen, if, if you want to teach it another way, that's, that's fine. And, and most people teach that she's a hero and, and that she's, and I'm not saying that she's not worthy of our, our attention or our sympathy or any of those things, but I am saying that she may have been one of those deceived people. Like we see today, I had a, a friend, he, he's dead now, but his, uh, uh, they had a little baby. He, they had a, a girl that uh, I think she was about 12 or 13 years old. It's the only child they had. And then they had a little boy. And he was so happy. He loved that little boy more than anything in the world. And he would play with that kid. I mean, he, he, he talked about him. He, after about six months, they discovered that uh, he had a problem, some issue. And it turned out that he had, uh, uh, not Asperger's, but uh, what is that? Autism, I'm sorry. But he had a severe case of autism, and he, uh, he would just bounce all the time. That just constantly, constantly, day and night. They couldn't get him asleep and all that. And, and so they took him to every doctor they could take him to. And they had even less knowledge about those things than they do now, and they don't have much now. And so he, uh, they took him everywhere. And so finally, and he was a deacon in our Baptist church. And he knew better than this. But they took him to a Ernest Ainsley meeting. Got in line and put their money. You didn't get in line. You didn't get in the healing line without giving some money. And they'd give their money and they would go even though they... And they would tell him, just like Russ was talking this morning, they would tell him, you just don't have enough faith. And they would give money that they couldn't afford to give. Just to see if somebody could pray that disease off that little boy. You see what happens... When that blindness comes, when that fog, that smoke comes and surrounds you, you know what you do when the lights suddenly go off, don't you? And you can't see? What's the very first thing you do? You throw your hands out. And the first thing you get a hold of, that's security. I think that's kind of what happens to people. The smoke from the bottomless pit, false doctrine, false teaching, blinds them and they reach out and they find that silky hair. And they latch on and say, this is beautiful, this is attractive, this is what I need. And it stings and destroys them. Preaching your message over again. But I couldn't help but think about this while you were preaching.
preaching this morning, Pastor. Maybe, maybe we should learn from her. There are many things we can learn from this lady. We can learn humility, right? We can learn that, uh, that God, even though we are poor and don't have much to offer, it matters to him. He pays attention. We can learn that uh, he doesn't only know what we give, he knows what we got left. We ought to stop and think on that one a little while, right? Mm -hmm. We can learn. We can learn some things from her. But we can also learn that this is a... This, this whole section is Jesus coming to present himself as the king and do away... With all this false hypocrisy that's going on there, and and so that bring that brings me to that uh, next uh, chapter, chapter thirteen, the first two verses, where they go out, and Jesus is still on this. You see, that Jesus. That's why I'm wondering if this is not the case with this widow woman because Jesus is still on this same subject when they go out of the temple and they say, look at all these buildings. Look how beautiful. And Jesus says, do you see all these buildings? There won't be one stone left upon another. The judgment's coming. Because of their sinfulness, their hypocrisy, their greed, and their abuse of God's people. Beware of religious predators. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would cause us to know it, understand it. Be instructed by it and live by it. In Jesus' name, amen.